Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Yeah, I got nothing, man. Absolutely nothing. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. So I got nothing. Yeah, Nate, you might want to just check in the, in the rack room and make sure that our modulation things are bouncing to make sure this isn't just an IFB problem. So we had a hell of a night. <laughs> it was amazing. Let's see. Back a few months ago, about a month and a half ago, two months ago, the uh, state of Virginia decided uh, no more hackable voting machines. Right? No more hackable voting machines. We've had these things since 2002. We don't want them anymore. No more hackable voting machines. So, yeah. So, uh, all of a sudden, the Democrats start winning. Really, what happened here? What? <laughs> so, anyway, I, I just, you know, lay that out. Virginia's election supervisors, this was uh, back in um, September 8th. Election, Virginia's election supervisors on Friday directed counties to ditch touchscreen voting machines before November's election, saying the devices posed unacceptable digital risks. You know, if you really, if you really think that outside forces, whether they be Russian or whether they be Republican or whether they just be rich people who want their tax cuts, have been messing with our elections and messing with our voting machines and stuff, this should be good news. And you wonder to what extent, if at all, I, I don't want to go full conspiracy theory on this, but I'll, but I'll tell you, I, you know, it, it seems to me like a serious problem. And that they're, you know, there's nothing happening. Okay, there's, there's a lot, you know, from the, the election that I wanted to go through. Let me just give you some of, the, some of the really cool stuff that happened, some of the really historic victories. And I think that uh, this is probably one of the most, say what? I can't hear you. Okay, uh, all right. Um, so you wanna fill that free speech break. Democrats in Washington state win full control of the government. This is Manka Dingra 
is uh, the candidate for the state senate in Washington State. Washington State, you know, you've got the the, the governor, the attorney general, the, the secretary of state, the uh, and the and the House are all controlled by Democrats. The Senate is controlled by Republicans by one vote, or was controlled until last night by Republicans by one vote. And the Republicans in the Senate, according to Jennifer Bendery over at Huffington Post, Republicans in the Senate have prevented Governor Jay Inslee from enacting some of his top legislative priorities relating to climate change, voting rights, and birth control. They also forced Democrats to compromise on a smaller state budget. Well, she won. Manka Dringa, uh, Dingra won the election last night. Now, where this is consequential, and very few people are talking about this, but I find this fascinating. And having just moved our principal residence out to Oregon, I, it's like, you know, very conscious of what's going on out here. And the, the amazing thing is that, it, you know, if you, if you ever read Ernest Kallenbach's book, Ecotopia, back in the 70s when it came out. It was about Oregon and Washington state seceding from the United States and mining their border with nuclear weapons to keep the, the, the uh, basically the right-wingers out. And, and you know, the, the upshot of this, the, you know, what came out of this, uh, you know, it, it was this extraordinary kind of paradisical, uh, paradise, kind of, uh, they called it ecotopia, these, 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 this new territory. And they started enacting their own laws and doing things their own way. Well, now California is completely controlled by Democrats, including a supermajority in, in, the, in the legislature so that they, you know, they can do things that require supermajorities. Oregon is completely controlled by Democrats now. And now Washington state is. So now the entire West Coast of the United States is controlled by one political party and keep in mind, I mean, you know, uh, depending on whose numbers you accept, California is either the fifth or the seventh largest economy in the world. You add Oregon and Washington State, particularly Washington State, is a much bigger economy than Oregon with Seattle and Microsoft and Boeing and all this kind of stuff. You add all that together. And, you know, the, the Cascadia, uh, which, you know, has been proposed as a, a, a shorthand name for this region, um, becomes really consequential, becomes really significant, becomes a major force in American politics. So I think this is probably the most important and interesting event to happen. Virginia, of course, is fascinating. There's going to be some, some, uh, a series of recounts, a number of the, of the, uh, uh legislature, the, you know, the, the, the house, uh, members in Virginia, um, one with a close enough margin that there'll be a recount. But it's possible that after the recounts are all over, even the, even the Virginia legislature has flipped Democratic. Although, you know, not, I'm not uh, putting money on that one yet. Meanwhile, a Republican actually, in, on Twitter, no less, actually told the truth. Representative Chris Collins, representative from a uh, Republican from New York, as the party is voting on its tax bill, there's a great article about this by Jake Johnson over at Common Dreams. Uh, he says, my donors are basically saying, this is, this, I'm quoting this guy's tweet, right? My donors are basically saying, 
get it done or don't ever call me again. So the rich people who tell Republicans how to vote, you know, they cared about, you know, allowing more pollution in our air. They were very happy when Donald Trump signed legislation to allow more coal waste in our rivers. You know, they, they like those things, right? Oh, gee, we can be more profitable polluting and poisoning people. Cool. Trump doesn't give a damn. Yeah, we'll go for that. But what they really care about is their tax breaks. This is, you know, so far it looks like the biggest tax cut for millionaires and billionaires, particularly doing away with the alternative minimum tax and doing away with the inheritance tax, the estate tax. It, this is the biggest tax cut for the super wealthy among us, arguably in my lifetime. And the billionaires who are going to benefit from this are running ads on TV right now saying the average American family is going to get $1,200. Well, that average includes Bill Gates, right? Be careful of liars bearing numbers. And, th and this is the thing that, that, that is, you know, I mean, pretty important to note is that when the, when, when the Republicans are dancing to the tune of the super wealthy, then the rest of us get lost in the dust, right? This is, this is, this is what they're all about. They have the, the, the super wealthy Republican donor class have put billions or at least hundreds of millions, I'd say billions of dollars behind all these Republican politicians all over the country. And they expect multiple billions back. You know, they, they don't talk about philanthropy when they're giving money to politicians. They talk about investment and they want their investment back. And meanwhile, they're running these ads on TV saying, you know, $1,200 to everybody. Which is, which is crazy because what, what this says is that the standards of honesty that are applied to products being sold are not the same as the standards of honesty being, being applied to advertising for politicians. And there's something fundamentally wrong with that. Absolutely fundamentally. Are we hitting the break? Okay. We'll be right back. It's uh, 15 minutes past the hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program. The news of the day and your calls after this. As uh, Charlotte Alter tweeted yesterday, this is probably one of the most uh, retweeted tweets on the Internet. A trans woman beat the guy who introduced the bathroom bill. A gun victim's boyfriend beat a delegate with an A grade from the NRA. A civil rights lawyer who sued the police department just became the top prosecutor in Philadelphia. Something's happening here, folks. And uh, I've got a, a complete list of every something's happening here. But I don't see Brian on my board. Any idea what's going on? Brian Pruitt uh, contributed to redstate.org, redstate.org. Uh, org is the website. Uh, you can tweet him at Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-A-N Pruitt, P-R-U-I-T-T. Hey, Brian, can you hear me? Yeah, I can, Tom. How are you? Oh, great. And hey, that's pretty decent audio, too. You know, normally when somebody comes in on Skype, we have them uh, on the telephone uh, because the audio is fairly unreliable. So, uh, Brian, 
I, you know, and uh, what I have not yet done today, and for our listeners, I will do this after the break at the bottom of the hour, is this list of this historic victory. I mean, all across the country, Democrats just swept this election. And, you know, you're a, you're a conservative. Uh, historically, you've been a Republican. Yep. I think you still call yourself that. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure do. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious your take on what happened and, and what this means for your party going forward. Sure. Well, I was all, um, all over social media this morning basically talking about how people really need to, pay, to look at the Virginia map because it looks a lot like America which the American electoral map from 2016, which is coastal cities plus very high density areas, whether it's America or Virginia, voted overwhelmingly for the Democrats. And then you've got the rest of the state and for the country, basically the entire middle of the country, um, just a sea of red. And so we need to take lessons from that, that even though the Democrats won, there's some really important lessons. One is that the, the democratic demographic for winning elections has not necessarily changed. That's a bad thing for 2020 if Democrats plan on trying to win the electoral college. You know, we hear all, all over about Hillary winning the popular vote and that um, Democrats can always get more votes than Republicans can, but that's not how our system works. Uh, the really bad news for Republicans beyond beyond last night is that is that they still have a huge problem coming up in the midterms. All of these all of these House races and all the Senate races are many popular votes to win these seats. And it's not looking good for Republicans when they need to appeal to the thir- two thirds of voters that are not Trump's base. Yeah. Brian, I, I would say, uh, speaking of Virginia, that um, maybe the problem is how we're representing graphically that win. Because, yeah, you look at the state of Virginia and, and three quarters of the state is red and one quarter of the state roughly. I mean, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I, I don't know the yep. exact percentages, but basically sure. about a quarter of the state is blue and about three quarters is red. Um, but and But that's comparing political affiliation with geography. I think if you were to compare political affiliation with population instead, which is a more you know, useful way of measuring political impact, land doesn't vote, people do, then uh, what you would have seen is a, uh, you know, a graphic that two years ago or, or four or six years ago when Virginia was far more Republican than it is today, uh, where the, state, the, you know, the whole state would look more red than blue and now, if you're looking just population-wise, you're going to see that the whole state is more blue than red. I mean, that, I don't think that you can draw, you know, uh, significant, consequential, meaningful, long-term political implications from looking at a map. Well, I think you absolutely can, because the way our system was set up was to sort of de-emphasize population centers and overall vote vote numbers and to emphasize the, or to give more power, a weighted power to those rural areas. That's why the Senate was created. Right. This was is, to, 
was to specifically value the smaller, uh, less populated states by giving them equal Well, actually, uh, it, was, it, it, it wasn't the smaller, less populated states because the southern states were well populated. It was just that they had a much lower population of white people. I mean, this was, this was to preserve the institution of slavery. This was to give the both small states like Delaware, but more importantly, small states like Georgia that had a small population of white people, a large population of slaves, to give them, uh, you know, uh, what they felt was their due in terms of representation. Well, we debate about that. I disagree with the slavery contention, but, uh, you know, there, there's a reason that the founders developed this system the way they did. It was yes, to prevent the... the uh, the basically tyranny of the majority or the, you know, complete popular vote winning or, or, or being valued over everything else. But the tyranny of the majority is the definition of democracy, Brian. Not necessarily. Well, well, we live in a constitutional republic. We don't live in a pure de- democracy. So if people want to change that system, then they can go about the you know, 100-year project of attempting to change that. I, I prefer, and I think Republicans prefer, to try and win in the system that we have. Okay, Brian Pruitt uh, with uh, redstate.org. Brian, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, Democrats are well-situated, Tom. Um, you know, I, going think so. into- I think so. We got a boogie, Brian. Thank you. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent on my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. You spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for you, just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com right now, that's the letter X chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, dot com. Not only will they knock $100 off the price, they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom, T-H-O-M. Just go to xchairtom.com right now. I love my X chair and you will too. So check out xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if my friend Garland Gilchrist won the Detroit City Clerk race or not. I've, I've, I've been Googling this. Uh, Sue in the chat room asked me about it. Anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. We'll look into that. Uh, Richard Wolf is with us, Professor Richard Wolf. Uh, he of the uh, of the uh, democracyatwork.info website. His most recent book, Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown. You can tweet him at uh, Prof. Wolf, P-R-O-F-W-O-L-F-F, and uh, democracyatwork.info. Uh, Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Glad to have you with us. Um, I want to I talk to you about... Um, the Republican tax plan and the consequences of last night's election. But before we get to that, I, I'd like to go back to the, uh, the mass murder that we had a couple days ago. And, uh, I mean, uh, actually, you know, we have one every single day. It's just that, you know, this one, he killed enough people that it pushed the threshold. Uh, you and your wife, Dr. Harriet Fraud, uh, recently wrote a piece titled America's Hypercapitalism Breeds the Lonely Alienated Men Who Become Mass Killers. Uh, you want to riff about that? Yeah, I'd like to, because I'm a little disappointed, to put it mildly, 
both in President Trump's uh, being unable to go beyond the description of this event as evil, uh, and much of the mainstream media's uh, focus on whether or not guns are good, putting that issue aside, there's precious little attempt to understand what is a glaring reality. No other country on the face of this earth has anything remotely like the regular mass killings, mostly of people unknown or unrelated to the uh, shooter, uh, since this is mostly done by guns, uh, that we do. And any reasonable American ought to be wondering and asking the question, what is it about our society, unless you want to follow President Trump into thinking we are especially evil as a population, I don't take that seriously, so I don't go there. Uh, I want to know what's going on. What is it about the United States uh, that takes the form of this kind of indiscriminate killing, whether it be from a hotel room, as in Las Vegas, or in a rural church, as happened in Texas a few days ago. I mean, it is so regular, as you pointed out, that it is long overdue to, to try to understand it. And what Dr. Fraud and I did was basically say, let's look at the economics, let's look at the psychology, and see whether there's a pattern here that can give us at least some initial clues as to what's going on. And basically what we found is that there were two phenomena, one economic and one, let's call it personal or psychological. Most of the people who have committed these crimes, when we've been able to track and figure out who they were and what might have motivated them, most of these people have suffered an economic reverse in the recent past. What I mean is they either got fired from their job, which often happened, or they got disconnected, and that's the word we like to use, because the, wor the work wasn't going well, their co-workers didn't like them, they got involved in some kind of difficulty at the job, and so kind of withdrew, made their money in some either illegal or under the table, or let's call it unusual, the guy in Las Vegas became virtually a professional gambler at the very hotels, one of which he did his deed from. So there was economic difficulty in the life of these people. And the second one was the psychological, that again, most of these people had been either rejected by a spouse or a, a close friend or a partner, or if they hadn't had that experience, they were the kind of person who never was able to make a firm, deep relationship with anybody. And so they were, again, disconnected. In the first instance, disconnected from the economy. In the second, disconnected uh, from the emotional supports that every healthy life requires. End result, these are, as the newspapers sometimes like to say, loners. But they're not loners by some throw of the genetic dice. They are victims in this society of an economic system that does not care for millions of people, either by giving them unemployment or by giving them back-breaking jobs at very low pay. Uh, I won't go into all of that. Your listeners, I'm sure, know it. 
And likewise, they are victims of a society whose isolation, as we all stare into our cell phones, our smartphones, uh, watch the TV, live a life disconnected more and more from close relationships, what we're seeing is a society that is deeply lonely, deeply alienated, disconnected, and if you add that kind of pressure to people who may have all kinds of personal problems, you have an extremely dangerous mix here. But to focus on the personal problems, which we all have more or less, as if they are the explanation, is really a rather dishonest way of pretending that there aren't larger social, economic, and psychological factors which we could do something about uh, and we ought to talk about in order to do something so we don't have these horrific results, which, again, no other modern society has. Right. The, the, other, the other problem, I mean, you, this is sort of like you've identified all the gunpowder laying on the ground. The spark that, that sets it off is, in my opinion, is that the United States has 44% of the world's guns and we're only 5% of the world's population. So right. when somebody encounters the crises that you're talking about in any other country, they seek counseling, which, by the way, is typically paid for by the government as part of their national health care system, or they seek out friends or whatever. But here in the United States, they just grab a gun. Right. And, and you know, there's an interesting parallel statistic. We're 5% roughly of the world's population, and we consume 60% of what we call psychotropic drugs, that is, one kind or another of a tranquilizer or a mood enhancer. In other words, we live in an economic system where it is extremely profitable not only to sell us guns as a magical way to overcome our loneliness and isolation, but likewise pharmacology sending us endless pills. You know, we're the only country that allows uh, company to the public advertising of psychological drugs in other countries you can only advertise to doctors you can't advertise directly to the public since they can't possibly understand the chemistry and so forth behind it you see a system that is not only making people very disconnected economically and psychology and psychologically but is also intent on profiting from whether it's guns or psychological drugs and the end result is yes People get depressed, of course they do, and that's a serious problem in our country. But likewise, when they get depressed, as you put it, they look for solutions that are more driven by the profit of companies making things than it is by a notion of wanting to help people that are in psychological and economic difficulty, if not for the decency of doing it, then at least to prevent the kind of wholesale random killing that we are becoming famous around the world for. Yeah, and it seems to be happening more and more and more. Yes. Um, Sean, how are we doing on the time? We're hitting the break, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Professor Wolf, uh, I will have to have our conversation about the election another time, I'm sorry, but uh, thanks so much for dropping by today. My pleasure, and take care, Tom. Thank you, great talking with you. Professor Richard Wolf, you can tweet him at Prof Wolf, W-O-L-F-F, and uh, the, the website, of course, is uh, democracywork.info. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I have a theory I'd like to run by you in just a moment. 
about North Korea, communism, and us. Stick around. Welcome back. John Hartman here with you. This is a real interesting poll. NBC News Wall Street Journal poll. Uh, they, they looked at Trump counties, that is counties in the United States that Donald Trump won in the 2016 election. 32% of people in those counties say the country is better off than before. 26% say the country is about the same. They, they surveyed 438 countries that either flipped a Republican in 2016 or saw a surge for Trump. So these are you know, Republican counties in Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Uh, these are people who are whiter, more rural, less educated, and older compared to the rest of the country. Uh, they gave Trump a 48% positive rating and a 50% negative rating. That's pretty amazing. 41% of people in Trump counties say that the country is worse off since Donald Trump became president. 41%. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the, show, the, the people in these counties still showed a disdain for Trump's Democratic opponent, Hillary Clinton, with 23% saying they had a favorable view of her versus 54% who viewed her negatively. But that apparently wasn't about party. The sur survey also found in those same counties, those same people hold uh, view former President Barack Obama favorably, 48 to 37 percent, as well as Bernie Sanders favorably, 42 to 31 percent, as an error of margin of 3 percent. This is fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Bill in Sebastian, Florida. Hey, Bill, can you hear me? Yeah. Good afternoon, Tom. Hey, what's up? Um, yeah, uh, I'd just like to uh, expand on what uh, Dr. Wolf was saying concerning uh, the antidepressants and uh, the isolationism and uh, these psychotropic drugs that some of these people are taking. I had a lawyer call me the other day about a class action suit against the Avilify. And what she said is that we have a large number of people who have been gambling away everything. You know, they're isolated, depressed, and they take to gambling. And I'm wondering... If the same doesn't apply to violence with the people who have been conditioned with these video games and the violence that they, uh, that they uh, see every day with their video games. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there isn't a correlation between... You there know, may well be, uh, Bill, and these are things that we all have to look at. We, we, we need to figure out if, there's, you know, if, if there are forms of intervention and things like this. But I, my concern when we start talking about the psychological uh, motivations of mass killers is that those same psychological motivations, by and large, exist all around the world. Now, the one, the one exception to that may be access to uh, reliable, inexpensive, and non-losable health care. And that may provide people with a sense of comfort, and particularly if it includes mental health care, you know, access to resources that would be a value to somebody who, who uh, you know, to prevent somebody who might otherwise become a shooter. But the reality, the simple reality, in my opinion, is that the United States has way more guns than anybody else. And when you've got way more guns, if you get people who are, who are cracking up, people who are having a hard time, people who are, you know, severely challenged, um, you know, what do they go to? They go to the gun. And, and also, the other thing that's not being discussed is suicides. So, you know, gun suicides are huge. If you have a gun in your house 
the risk that somebody will commit suicide in your house just increased by 500%. That's the main side effect of owning a gun, is that your risk of, that household risk of suicide just increased five times. And, uh, you know, so I think that this is a gun problem, period. And, and I think that, you know, discussing the, the psychotropic drugs, uh, discussing SSRIs, discussing all these things, you know, those are useful and interesting areas of inquiry. But first, we've got to get under control of the fact that we've got roughly half the world's guns and we're less than 5% of the world's population. Bill, thanks for the call. Amisha in Spokane, Washington. Hey, Amisha, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was hoping I could talk to you a little about your earlier topic um, when you talked about uh, Congress favoring less populated states by design. Sure. And um, my thought on it was that it was actually designed to balance the power between less populated states and more populated states by having the Senate favor the less populated and the House favoring the more populated until the Reapportionment Act of 1929 capped the number of seats in the House and tipped the balance so that both houses of Congress favor less populated states. And it's more obvious to us during presidential elections because of the Electoral College, but that imbalance and that inequity exists every day that Congress is in session, not just during presidential elections. Well, that's interesting. I didn't so, know about this, Amisha. The, the Reapportionment me? Act of 1920, because the, the Constitution basically says you get one uh, representative in the House of Representatives, one, one congressperson uh, for every X number of people, X, X hundred thousand people. Um, that got changed over time, and uh, it, but but apparently that X per hundred thousand people that number since 1929 has been increasing the the hundred thousand number, not the X number. Yes. And whereas well, whereas prior to 1929, as the number of as the population number increased, the the number of representatives increased, and they basically put a cap on the number of people who are going right. to go to Congress. Right. So now there aren't enough seats in Congress to give the, like California and Florida and New York and the greatly populated states, to give them enough to um, equal per capita a representative for, say, a Wyoming that has to have one, right? right? right. So, now, so now the less populated states have have greater per capita representation in both houses of Congress. And right. because of how electors are allocated, you know, one elector in the presidential election for each congressperson, um, it becomes very obvious to us during presidential elections. Oh, so this is swinging the electoral college. When they're legislating. Right. So this is... Also, it was also the Reapportionment Act of 1929 that allowed for creative drawing of districts. Well, that gerrymandering. Go go back to the founding of the Republic. I mean, Elbridge Gerry was you know, in what, 1810 or something like that. I mean, it, it goes way, way back, but uh, that's fascinating. I'm going to have to look up the Reapportionment Act of 1929. Amisha, thank you for that information. I, thank I, you, Tom. You're welcome. Thank you so much for the call. I appreciate that. Pat in Fenville, Michigan. Hey, Pat, what's on your mind today? Uh, I was listening to you uh, earlier in the day. I was out in my car. You were talking about the Virginia results. Mm -hmm. And the reason Virginia had changed was because Virginia had uh, uh, stopped this ability to hack elections. Well, Well, that was my my initial suspicion. I mean, I'm I'm not 
asserting this uh, as a statement of fact, but it certainly seems odd that in the first election to not use electronic voting machines, suddenly there's a, a tidal wave of Democratic votes. Now, the, the flip side of that is that that happened in other states than just Virginia. So probably you, my theory is, you know, fairly watered down by that. Do you remember uh, Beth Harris from blackboxvoting.org? She did a uh, uh, HBO documentary called Hacking Democracy. Oh, yeah. And uh, in it, she was talking about these tabulators. Well, the tabulators came out uh, the end of 2004. The first election they were used in was 2006. And I, I ran for county uh, commissioner here in uh, Allegan County. And uh, uh, I asked for a recount because everyone said I won the election. And then the, the results said, no, you didn't. Right. Well, the, the clerk wouldn't give us a recount, wouldn't allow a recount. Uh, she had this meeting of the Board of Election Canvassers. And uh, uh, at that meeting, we've got her on tape saying uh, that we were there when they were uh, – uh, testing these tabulators for this election. They tested them, and then they uh, sealed them. And uh, they took them into another room. And she asked, what happened? We, we understood that uh, uh, th these tabulators, uh, you were going to get the results of this election. How did you get the results of that election? And she said, by modem. By modem? She's, and uh, how did you get it by modem? By, was it wireless? She said, no, by telephone. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and afterwards, this Karen Wellman was doing the question. She was extremely good at it, extremely yeah. good. I had uh, clients who are attorneys in here, and they all thought she, she was consul. And uh, she, she said, well, you know, we all know that this is the easiest way you can hack these tabulators. Sure. If they have a modem on them. Yep. And, uh, and then when you put... That information together with what the uh, uh, intercept came out with on the uh, on the Russians, uh, th their article said, "Well, uh, the the GSU, the Secret Service of the Russians, ha had uh, put Trojans had sent emails to 122 people who had the uh, control of uh, the." the the, uh, all the people on the, uh, the election rolls hmm. in each county. Well, that's the county clerk, the person who is connecting to these things by modem. Yeah. And, and, uh, so and, and I guarantee you, Pat, it's not just the Russians. And I would start with the Republicans. <laughs> what oh. the hell is going on here? But, Pat, excellent point. Excellent point, all. And I've got, but we got to run. We're hitting a break here. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. What do you think was the most important consequence of last night's election and the most important race for that? What's your curious take home? Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And just to, just to recap our current situation here in the United States of America, wealthy people have more money than they have ever had in the history of the United States. Corporations have more money than they have ever had in the history of the United States. 
They have so much money, it's sloshing over the edges. They have hundreds of billions of dollars stashed overseas. They have hundreds of billions of dollars stashed in the United States. There is so much corporate cash in the United States. There are venture capitalists running around looking for things to throw cash at. The last thing that corporations in America and rich individuals in America need is a tax cut. What they need, arguably, given that they make their money off the commerce of the United States, what they need is for our infrastructure to be upgraded, for the entire country to get high-speed broadband. For, and by the way, one, of the, one community in Colorado actually vote, voted for that last night, that they were going to give themselves high-speed broadband, just like Chattanooga has done. It's amazing. It's, it's inexpensive. It works for everybody. It's just incredible. So, but, but the bottom line is that there is no need to be giving all this, you know, these tax, $1.7 trillion, according to the CBO. No need to give that to the wealthy in America. They're doing just fine. It's the poor in America and the working people in America who are making less than $10 an hour who are in desperate straits. And the Republicans are proposing to do absolutely nothing for those people. And in fact, actually the reverse. When it comes to Medicaid, Donald Trump is now saying, oh, you can means test this. You can say, you know, you can't get health care. You can't get Medicaid if you don't work. It's bizarre. It's like they're trying to punish us. Franklin Roosevelt talked about this kind of a situation back in 1936. This was October 21st, 1936, about how the rich are demanding more and more and more, and the complicit Republican politicians are more than happy to give it to them. Here he is. Oh, here he's not. Hang on just a second. Here he but is. But you would think to hear some people talk that those good people who live at the top of our economic pyramid are being taxed into rags and tatters. But what is the fact? The fact is that they are much further away from the poorhouse than they were in 1932. And you and I know that as a matter of personal observation. Wow, remarkable. So uh, this is, you know, this is where we're at right now. David in San Francisco. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Oh, yeah. How are you, Tom? Uh, you know, a little bit ago, probably half an hour or so ago, you had a woman caller talking about the Congressional uh, uh, District... Reapportionment Act of 1929, yeah. Right, yeah. So I can give you a kind of a basic breakdown on it. Okay. In the Founding Fathers, uh, when they were writing about giving congressional districts, they decided that somewhere between 25,000 and 40,000 was a, an appropriate number that you wouldn't, you know, taxation with representation, that uh, a congressional district shouldn't have more than 40,000 because it, it becomes unmanageable. Right. So the original Constitution had it set at 30,000. Now, early in the 1800s, they bumped it by twice. It became uh, 60,000. And then, uh, to make it worse, uh, in 19, the 1914 Congress determined that they were just going to go ahead and Rather than increase uh, the size of Congress, the building, uh, you know, to, to deal with a growing population, they decided to top it off at 435. Thousand, so thousand people per representative. 
Well, no, no, no. Four, there, oh, 435 members of Congress. I'm sorry. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that meant that every day that goes by becomes a bigger and bigger and bigger workload on each congressman. Right. So it's an and insult to the very concept of taxation with representation. Yeah. If you remember just a couple of months ago in Montana, uh, you know, they only have one congressman for that huge state. And this was the guy that beat up the reporter for asking how the taxes were going to be spent. Right. right? Jigon Forte or whatever his name is. Yeah. yeah right. And, and you remember the question, uh, how are you going to uh, vote on, on Medicaid or, the, you know, the Obamacare, so to speak? So mm. he beat him up for asking a taxation with representation question. And if you think about the size of Montana, if I understand right, it's about 800,000. So there should have been 19 congressmen for that state in the original 30,000. Right. But, but now they've got one guy, and he'll beat you up for asking uh, how your taxes are going to be spent. Wow. So as, to the best of your knowledge, and you, you clearly know a lot more about this than I do, to the best of your knowledge, has there ever been a time in the United States where we have tried to, um, well, at least since 1914 or 1929, uh, where we've tried to rectify that. I mean, we're we're at what? It's it's got to. If Montana has, oh, my yeah, recollection is Montana has around two million people. Is that about right? Oh, no, no. Montana has about eight hundred thousand now. Oh, that's um, that's it. And, okay. And the uh, but the uh, there have been uh, candidates who have brought forth the idea, but they've never really gained traction. And almost, I, I personally, you know, I've called talk shows for years and years and years, and I've raised this once in a while, and they always say, oh, but you just, how could Congress have, uh, you know, I think the number right now would be approximately 5,500 congressmen. If, we have, if, it was if we were going back to the 30,000 ratio you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you'd have 50, some 5,500 uh, congressmen. But actually, that's not a bad idea because, you know, they, they attempt to do that in China, and they have a much bigger uh, population, and with electronic voting and uh you know, you could have a skyscraper with 5,500 uh, people in it, and that's not really an issue. But the the actual, you know, the most congressional districts lose money every April 14th. That the biggest uh, amount of of the dollars uh, raised on April 14th or 15th are uh, sent to the congressional districts of the Warhawks, and so the, what I think it was Newt Gingrich's district, and um, oh God, who's the uh, the guy from Texas is it Tyler Texas, and he's uh, Gomert. I think mm. Gomert is now sitting on a vast pile of arms money, and he's one of the the military spending hogs. Right. And and so most congressional districts do not get an equal amount of money back than what they put in on April fifth. So it sounds, David, like what this comes down to is power. That if you're part of the four hundred and thirty-five, if you're part of this exclusive little club then every day that goes by, your accountability is diluted and your power is enhanced. Whereas if you had 5,500 legislators, or if you even had 1,000 or 2,000, you'd have a lot more people that billionaires would have to spread their, spread their money over when they're trying to buy politicians and buy votes. Yeah, it, it, that's, that's well said, because in the long run, uh, a bribe goes further in the, in the way that it is now, because if you... If right, because power is concentrated. ...congressman from 20 years ago, and he's still in office, no matter how good and valid the, the thing to vote for, your bribe or your blackmail can always supersede an honest vote. 
Yeah. And and so it it becomes yeah more less less diversity and more uh, more power. It's it taxation with representation is being insulted by every moment that goes by that the population gets bigger. Amazing. This is one of those bigger issue, bigger picture uh, about small d democracy issues that we never discuss in our media. And we probably really should. It's fascinating. David, I got to move along, but go ahead. 19 congressmen from Montana, and the one that they've got right now will beat you up for asking how your taxes will be spent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not a, uh, uh, you know, a spokesperson for good government. I'll give you that. David, thank Thanks. you for the call. I got to move along. Travis in Fairfax, Virginia. Hey, Travis, what's up? How's it going, boss? Um, <clears throat> Hey, uh, first, I want to apologize to you and your listeners and your screener. Uh, a few weeks ago, I got ditched from the uh, show because I dropped a, a bad word. Oh. And I, I sent you a I actually wrote you an email, too, apologizing. So I was all great on my mama. Well, thank uh, you, Travis. You apologize. You no, it's all good. It's all good. I didn't see your email, but it's all good. And you're on the air. So uh, without obscenity, what's on your mind? Yeah, I want to talk about the election in my state of Virginia. Um, uh-huh. It, we did go paper ballot, but not this election. We went paper ballot the previous one. Um, and it's real easy uh, to fill it out. You slide in the machine, and it's done. Yeah. Okay. That's it. So, and also, to add on real quick, um, to respond to one of your callers last week about saying breaking away from the Democratic Party, this election in Virginia is proof of why you don't do that. You work in the party, you stay in it, and you work it. It's, it's harder to do, yep. but the, it pays dividends. Yeah. Yeah. These, so, yeah. Th- this whole idea of, you know, we... We, we're so delicate and fragile and, and special that we need to go off and start our own party. You know, we just can't, we can't collaborate with those people who might have, uh, you know, taken money from the banks or the pharmaceutical industry or whatever. They're just not good enough. I mean, that, that whole idea is just, it's, it's destructive. Yeah, you know, It's destructive to democracy. It's destructive to the Democratic Party. Um, I get it that there are a lot of problems with the Democratic Party. That's all the more reason for us to get in the middle of it and iron those things out. It's not, it's not going to get any better unless we're involved. I mean, it's just, it's just very straightforward stuff. And uh, yeah, well said, Travis. Thanks a lot for the call. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that beets are one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body? They're loaded with an important nutrient that incle- increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not most people. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. The first order, you get another 30-day supply of Superbeats free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeats is working for you. And free shipping. So call 800-568-9889. That's 800-568-9889. Or go to tomsbeats.com. And welcome back. Jackie in Port Townsend, Washington. Hey, Jackie, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, I, I have a question for you, but I wanted to talk about Bill uh, and his theory about video, violent video games. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I turn on the TV, it's violence. I, I, all the shows have some kind of violence. Right. But anyway, um, my theory is uh, supported by your book, Cracking the Code. 
um, that we are being manipulated by propaganda, which claims that we are a divided nation. Uh, and I think it's completely disproven by all the polls, which on the major issues, majority of the people are on the same page. Yep. And so it's the, they're using a communication code to, for a different piece of reality to pit us against each other. Yep. When in reality, we all want the same thing. Yeah, what do I, you think? I completely agree, Jackie, and it's a point that I frequently make on the air that, that uh, you know, we're, we're all... Uh, you know, we're all looking at this, uh, you know, basically the same way, that, that, that there's a, a broad consensus in America that, for example, we all want Social Security and we want it to work and we want it to be strong. We all want, you know, a, 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 a country that works for everybody. We want, I mean, it's just, just very straightforward stuff. And well, I, go ahead. I wish people would quit saying we're a divided nation. Everybody says that. Yeah, well, this is this is the this is the thank you. This is the shtick that is being promoted by by uh, you know by, by the Republican Party and by our media, and uh, you know I agree. It's I mean you look at the at the uh, polling numbers. I've got them buried in a pile. I can't dig them out right now, but but it's it's really quite extraordinary. The the vast majority of Americans want Social Security, Medicare, infrastructure. You know, uh, you can just go through the list, and and are willing to pay for it. But the Republicans don't because, hey, if you don't pay for infrastructure, then that provides a profit opportunity for toll road or, you know, operators and, and builders. If you don't provide health care, that provides a profit opportunity for health insurance company banksters. Uh, you know, if, if, you don't, if you don't provide uh, retirement in Social Security, that provides a profit opportunity for the banksters. And so the Republicans are opposed to all these things because of that. And it's a terrible thing. Jackie, thank you for the call. Very well said. Leon in Maroa, Illinois. I'm mispronouncing it, aren't yeah. I, Louis? Leon? Uh, Maroa. Maroa. Uh, thank you for taking my call, Tom. It's okay. You wouldn't believe how much you mean to us out here. Uh, thank you. My call, I tried to call yesterday, and uh, my issue is uh, the NRA. Uh, a couple of years ago, my wife and I took a preliminary course in concealed carry, and <clears throat> the uh, last thing that the instructors told us before we left the uh, classroom was be careful how you vote because we need our silencers. Jeez. Now, close your eyes and imagine that church in Texas. God rest all of their souls and every other shooting incident in this country. Imagine if that guy had a silencer. He may have gotten away scot-free. Yeah, because the two guys who came over and, and took him out, essentially, wouldn't have heard the, the gunfire. Excellent point. Uh, excellent point, Leon. Leon, i got to run, but thank you for the call. Very well said. We'll be right back. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you on the line with us. Jonathan Schleifer, he's the executive director of The Fairness Project. TheFairnessProject.org is their website. Uh, they're one of the big backers of Medicaid for All in Maine. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for joining us. So tell me what happened in Maine, how you guys got this on the ballot, 
And I've seen three news stories this morning about other states that are now going, really? You can do this? And (laughs) so tell what's going on here. Yeah, that's right. Well, last night, voters in Maine sent a really clear message uh, by taking matters into their own hands. They were able to give uh, themselves and their families um, the the Medicaid expansion that their governor, Governor LePage, has denied them five times. You know, the the state legislature in Maine five times over had had bipartisan support for the Medicaid expansion. Governor LePage vetoed it five times. And about a year ago, as the Fairness Project was working with folks in Maine on the minimum wage increase ballot initiative, we started talking about how we could leverage the ballot process to, to go over the head of, of Governor LePage and to secure the Medicaid expansion for, for Mainers. And last night we saw that the end of a year's work uh, come to fruition as 59% of Mainers said yes on question two. And within a few months, um, barring any, any opposition and, and, and any fights we have to get into with Governor LePage, he's already threatening trying to go against the will of the people. But in a couple months, 70,000-plus Mainers are going to get the Medicaid expansion that's long due to them. Yeah, this is, this is extraordinary. So, uh, you know, the Republicans really crafted this process of putting things on ballot initiatives, uh, you know, on the ballot as a, as a partisan weapon, essentially. I mean, all, all the way back to the 1970s, uh, they would, after Roe v. Wade, they would put anti-abortion legislation or even just resolutions on the ballot in the hopes that it would cause a greater turnout among the Republican base. Uh, have, have Democrats not figured this out? I mean, this, this seems like something that in every state in the union, Democrats should have things on the ballot, you know, raising the minimum wage, giving health care to all, stuff that, you know, promotes Democratic values and also that, that stimulates Democratic voters to show up and vote for something. Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, we can't do it in every state. We're limited to about 23 states in which we can do ballot initiatives. And I think to, to actually to the point that you had with a caller, maybe two before I got on, where you're talking about how the progressive policies, progressive issues are, are backed by the majority of Americans that were united around, uh, around wanting everyone to have a fair wage, we're united around people deserving health care and, and being able to support it. And we saw this in 2016, where the Fairness Project worked in six states, um, and was able to raise the, raise the wage through ballot initiative process for 8 million people. Um, 2 million people got earned paid sick time in that same election, uh, also through the ballot initiative process. And what we saw in 16, and we, we don't have the numbers yet for, for, for Maine, but we saw in 16 that we, the minimum wage was more popular than Donald Trump and more popular than Secretary Clinton was more popular than, than John McCain and Mike Bennett. Cause these are issues that when you ask, when you ask, Folks in, in in Utah, when you ask them in Colorado and Washington State, and in Maine last night, if they if they're with us on this one, the answer is absolutely yes. And so, you know, whether or not whether or not the party and others are, are, are getting the message, you know, I think the folks on the ground are getting the message that when they want to raise the wage in their state, when they want to expand Medicaid in their state, and they're they're finding that they're not getting anything from either from Washington D.C. or from their their state capital, that they can take the power back. They could collect signatures from their neighbors and friends. They could talk to their neighbors for an extent, you know, throughout the campaign, convince them that this is the right move. And then on Election Day, they win. All right. And presumably, Jonathan, if somebody listening to our conversation right now in a state other than Maine uh, says, hey, that's a great idea. Uh, will you all help me out? If they go to thefairnessproject.org, will they find tools or resources? Is there a way that you can be of help to them? Absolutely. Absolutely. What the, what the Fairness Project does is we act, we act as that we, we help incubate these campaigns. So we have we have early funding 
because running these campaigns can be really expensive, and frankly, the opposition is, is in, in, insanely well-funded. And, and so we, what we do is we try to balance the playing field a little bit. So we help campaigns get off the ground. We help them do the polling, the legal research. We help them um, do the policy research as well. We help them through the signature collection process, which can get really technical. And then throughout the campaign, we're there to partner with them to make sure that they have everything they need to run a winning race. At the end of the day, that, that, that's what we do. Yeah, that's great stuff. We're talking with Jonathan, Jonathan is it Schleifer or Schleifer? Schleifer, you got it right. Schleifer, got it right. Okay, yeah. of the Fair, the executive director of the Fairness Project, thefairnessproject.org. Um, Jonathan, what I, I'm trying to imagine what Paul LePage and the Republicans in Maine might have said in their television advertising and their and their press appearances to try to convince Mainers, uh, citizens of Maine, to vote against expanding Medicaid to cover the the the, the working poor in Maine. And what? What argument did they make? I, I, I can't even figure out what it would be. What, uh, poor people don't deserve health care? Well, they, they were relying upon the same old sort of, you know, sleights of hand and misdirection, um, you know, the, 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 what's now being called the fake news. They, they, were, they were basically arguing that by expanding Medicaid to, to, to folks that it was going to just benefit what, what they like to say is, quote, able-bodied men, you know, that, that, that folks, you know, that people would sit on their couch and they'd, they would just collect their Medicaid. You know, the, the, the opposition um, saw themselves. Uh, the, the name of the opposition group was Welfare to Work. Um, and so, you know, we were hearing the same old thing, that this is going to hurt seniors, and this is just a way for able-bodied people to get another government handout. And it sort of revealed uh, the, the, the true cause and, or the true source of the opposition to this, which is just that they oppose, um, they oppose government programs that help people who need help. Right. Right. And, and, and even the idea of it, frankly. I mean, you go back to when Medicare and Medicaid were put into law back in the 60s and Ronald Reagan recording his album saying, you know, someday we'll look back and say, I remember when men were free. Um, That's right. Yeah. So now we've got this giant socialist program, Medicare and Social Security. My God, we can't have this stuff. So, uh, Jonathan, I think it's just it's it's absolutely marvelous what you guys are doing there at the Fairness Project. And congratulations on a big victory last so night. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just great. I, I, I'd be remiss to not add that you know we, we we won last night, and as you said, anyone who anyone states around the country who want to who want to get to work at, at passing uh, Medicaid expansion or other progressive ballot initiatives, you know, Fairness Project is here to get in touch with you. Thefairnessproject.org. Jonathan, I'm I'm out of time here. I got to run. Um, so and and thanks so much for being with us today. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, which includes you. So get out there, get active, tag. You're it. I'm in Chicago tomorrow. We'll see you there. We'll see you from Chicago tomorrow. Same time, same place. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 